Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my wonderful co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm out of meat. That is true. So, for those of you that are uh, tuning in possibly for the first time, welcome. Uh, but just so you know, we are Patreon-driven, and this month we are doing a bit of a Patreon drive. Uh, so if you enjoy our content, please consider donating to us at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Every little bit you give does make a divine difference on the amount of content that we can continue to provide for, including uh, these this podcast, our other podcasts, and any other future podcasts might do. Uh, also, we are about ready to celebrate our sixth anniversary. Actually, by the time of this recording, uh, you will have we've already celebrated it. I believe we launched on February third, six years ago. Uh, and as a thank you, we are making all of the Phoenix designs that have been previously made available. Uh, they're basically up again. Everything from our first anniversary to the current. Uh, there's a post over on BlizzardWatch.com where you can take a look and see if there's any of that merch you wish to purchase. Uh, and this is t-shirts, mugs, stickers, and more. Uh, and that sale will be going on until February 21st. So today at this recording is the 7th. You got a, you got a little bit of time. But uh, yeah, if you are interested in any of that, by all means, stop by the website, click the links, and uh, yeah, get yourself some sweet, sweet merchandise. Because, of course, it's there for everybody to love and enjoy. Uh, but today we are going to be answering more questions from you, our listeners. And if you have questions for us, be sure to send them in. You can send those questions into podcast at blizzardwatch.com, uh, which will you know, basically give us an email and specify which one of these shows you want it to go to. Uh, if you are a Patreon supporter, you can go to our Discord channel and in uh, the Patreon supporter and Q questions channel, you can go ahead and put your question in there. Several of our questions today did actually come from there. Uh, if you are not a Patreon supporter, and we understand if you can't, uh, there is a regular Q and podcast questions section where you can put your questions where if we run out of uh, stuff in the other ones, we will look there to try to grab some questions. Uh, but without further ado, let's get started. Hello, Keepers of Lore. I was super excited for the start of this expansion. I came back in with my panel and was super impressed with the way the story made me the center. Uh, made me the center, made my character part of the cinematics, and for the first time, I felt important to story. The main story was pretty good. A solid, good story. After I finished that and joined the Kyrians because my pally was concerned about Uther, that's where it all falls apart. We learn we the Kyrians are still sending souls to the Maw. This is stupid. I don't care what the story says. It's stupid. So many other reasons to pick on my souls are getting sucked in, and the writers pick this one. Uh, now I've, I've now freed Jaina, Thrall, and Bane from the Maw. Got to save Anduin now. Is it weird that these leaders are all save Anduin BFFs when we were at alt war again? Uh, also, Thrall, I met your mom. Now that there's, now that you have some time on your hands, want to go say hi? No? Okay, stay in Oribos. Uh, everyone calls me the Maw Walker. That's fine, but for some reason it feels weird when Jaina, Bolvar, and all call me Maw Walker. Uh, it's time to do weekly quests for my Kyrian. Save 15 people from the Maw. Hey, you know we can make this job easier? Stop putting them in there. No? Okay, I'll go get them and bring them back uh, to the ideas that put them there. Or to the people that put them there. Uh there's a lot here. Yeah, there, there's just way too much here. And I'm sorry, I'm not, not mean to get to, to all of this, but it all seems to be central around one of the the first part, which is the core part, which is why are the Kyrians still dumping souls into the Maw and why we're making what seemed like bad decisions. So it is a question that I've gotten asked a lot, or at least I've seen a lot, is if we know things are broken and the Kyrians learn things are broken, why are they still dropping souls into the Maw? So, I mean, do you have a take on that, Matt? Like, why why do you think that's still happening? Well, I mean, I think first off, the first time we f the, the Kyrian find out about it is when uh, Clea is ascending. And then she finds out that the Maw is, you know, everyone's getting dumped into the Maw and she's horrified. Um, I think in general, the Kyrian aren't too up on what's actually going on. And when they do find out, they're in a situation where they're not, I don't know how to put this without, sounding like I'm slagging on the Kyrian, which I'm not trying to do, but the Kyrian are not good at reacting to things. If no, you, they're sort of all you, in on this whole, like, this is how we do things. We're going to follow the process. Type thing, they're right? extremely regimented. Um, it, it, in fact, I think this is in fact, part of the story from the beginning. It, and I, I feel like you kind of have to really pay attention to it. If you join the Kyrian, it is your role to change them because they cannot change themselves. Yeah. Um, and it is, that is something that the story is trying to go over, the concept of getting an outsider perspective, 
getting, you know, when you are in an organization, oftentimes it doesn't react well to change. And especially in the case of the Kyrian, that's, they've had a way that they've been working for literally millennia. However, since this place is timeless, you can't say how long it's been, but as long as they've existed, they've had this specific way of operating. And it is through the campaign that finally they start to realize maybe we shouldn't be operating this way. And that's the thing. The Forsworn are right. That's the thing that is ultimately the end result of this campaign. When you finally get to the end of it and the Archon faces off, I can't remember her name, Lysonia? Yeah, Lysonia. When the Archon is attacked by Lysonia and her minions, at the end, the Archon's like, perhaps we've been doing this the wrong way. And keep in mind, the Archon's called like the Firstborn. The Firstborn of an eternal group. Beings who have just continued to exist, beings on the level of Titans, for the Archon to admit that they may have been in error is an enormous deal. It's probably a bigger deal than Denathrius going bad, quite frankly. Denathrius joining the Jailer, that's that's huge, it's a big deal. But the Archon saying, maybe we've been wrong. Yeah, that's like a huge like epiphany moment, right? Yeah, the Archon has never had to question themselves. I say themselves. I don't know if herselves or themselves. I'm quite frankly, I'm not sure on this one. But the, the Archon has never had to doubt or hesitate or question anything they've ever done. And they've been doing it eternally. Like time is no meaning. They've been at this as long as the Shadowlands have existed in their current form and has never doubted anything that they've done up until this moment. Why are they still putting souls in the Maw? Because to them, they hadn't really connected it. They, the, the, the part about them going to the mall, well, we, we guide souls to Oribos. That's what we do. Souls need to go to Oribos to be judged. Okay, the Arbiter's not there to judge them. They're just being dumped into the mall. But we have to put souls to Oribos. It's what we do. You know, it's it's like when you explain something to someone and they just go, but, and they re- regurgitate the same thing back at you. You've had this experience in your life. You know, oh, yeah. You're trying Everybody to, has trying at to, some point. Trying to explain to somebody, you know, no, you, you can't. Just let your cat go outside because it'll murder a bunch of birds. But my cat loves to go outside. Okay, you can't let it go outside because it'll murder a bunch of birds. That's still true. Whether or not your cat likes to go outside is completely irrelevant to the discussion. Um, your cat also likes to you know, poop on things. You see what I'm saying with this? Get him a litter box. Uh, don't let him go outside. It is that kind of... I'm using that example to be polite because I don't want to jump on anyone's hot button topic. But there's lots of times in real life where you will be trying to explain to somebody the situation and they just don't get it. That's the Kyrian. It is so antithetical to the entire worldview they've built up that you have to practically destroy that worldview to get them to start thinking about it differently. And, and that's why it, they have you show up. It's what you're for. And, and think about it this way, too. Like, the, the Kyrian are a people which, like, and this is so central to the story, and we talk about this a lot, they've given up who they were in life to serve a very specific and narrow purpose. That's what their entire current existence is, it, like, revolves around it, right? That's what defines them, that purpose, that goal. That, that And it's when that becomes all you are, it's really difficult to think critically about what you're doing because you have nothing else to judge it or base it against right like there's an element of that at least from what i've seen in some of the interactions as well it's like well if i if this is wrong and this is all i'm supposed to be doing what does that make me what is what is the purpose of my existence what why am i here uh and that's the entire message of the forsworn yes um for all that devos and lysonia obviously go off the rails by making a deal with the, the jailer their basic premise that, you know, we are giving up everything that makes us who we are and it's, it's weakening us. It is, we, you're not stronger for not knowing who you are. Like that's the whole thing. Nobody in the Kyrian knows who they are. Like think about um, one of the characters who's like one of the most important characters in the Kyrian this time out. And I, I can't remember his name. He's Clea's friend. He's, he's trans. Pelagos. Pelagos, thank you. Pelagos' entire thing is about knowing that Pelagos is trans. If Pelagos forgets everything about Pelagos' life, they won't know that. He won't know who he is. It'll be gone. Think about the message of that. That's the entire Kyrian storyline in a nutshell. It's, oops, we have inadvertently weakened ourselves. And it's it's down to when you see the original uh, Kyrian story trailer with, with Devos and Uther... 
that's the whole point of that was like Devos is trying to warn them and the Archon shuts it down. Devos is like, no, the, the Maw is loose. We have to. And the Archon's like, no, we must continue to do what we've always done. There can be no deviation. So you're in a way, what you're getting in this story is you're, you're not supposed to be happy with what they're doing. You're not supposed to think it's smart or a good idea. Yeah. You're supposed to think it's a bad idea. You know, that's the, the Kyrians in a nutshell are people who really mean well and who are absolutely effing up. Yeah. And that's sort of like the central point of it. Like, and that's something I, I keep telling people to keep in mind, too. There's a lot of just to touch on, like, what was the meat, I believe, of what was a very long email and, and no offense, like given or anything like that. I appreciate the long email and the thought put into it. The problem is we are at the very beginning of the story for this expansion. And if you look back at the beginning of the story for almost every expansion, it's usually rooted in terrible decision-making with incomplete information. And the difference between a lot of those other ones in here is our characters are sort of central to recognizing those bad decisions and trying to fix them, uh, whether it's the, the Kyrian story or taking back uh, Revendreth from Denathrius and, and his ill, uh, ridding the drust out of uh, Ardenweld, but also while doing that, making sure that the Winter Queen knows, because that's the other thing too, like the, the Night Fae aren't exactly immune from this either, right? Like the Drust are running rampant and nobody's doing any about it until you start stepping in. The Winter Queen doesn't even take it seriously. At one point she's like, yeah, whatever, they've done this before, it's not that big of a deal. She doesn't recognize the threat that's actually happening until there's like a huge event where she can't deny it anymore or even the stuff with the, the lowest spirits and, and things like that. There's a lot of, a lot of these zones, a lot of the story is tied up and they're so used to things being immutable and, and set a very specific way that they don't recognize danger because what could possibly move that needle? What could possibly shift uh, what has always happened because it's always happened. And and that's sort of the weird thing when you start dealing with timeless folks as well. Uh, and it's sort of like, it's tropey, but it makes sense. If you've lived for time immemorial, you have no idea how ancient these beings are in compared to our mortal lifespans. And things have always been a very specific way. Getting them to accept that something is different, that something is wrong, and then move to actually take steps to fix it is difficult because they can't understand or fathom why things are different because it hasn't been before. I mean, just look at real life situations. Um, you can look at crises in real life where the people who are in charge, who are leading, refuse to act because They've seen stuff before and they believe they understand how this is going to go. And by the time it turns out that they were wrong, calamity has ensued. Uh, that doesn't make them the devil. Mm -hmm. It just makes them wrong. And people can be wrong. Now, imagine immortal, timeless beings who live in a, in a, a realm of death where you've already died. And now this is your forever. Yeah, it, it, it is probably pretty hard to motivate them to take anything as a crisis. I mean... The anima drought happened and they soldiered on, even though they were like, if when you get to Bastion, all of their constructs are falling apart because yeah. they can't power them. Or, or they're stealing um, anima from them to power other things. Yeah. Um, look at, you know, they, they send you off to kill the animals of, of Bastion because they need anima. You know, those things are anima constructs. Go kill them. We need the anima from them. There's Bastion is dystopian. It's just pretty. In yeah. a way, Bastion is worse than Maldraxxus. Because in Maldraxxus, they're at least dealing with it. Granted, they're dealing with it by, you know, murdering each other. But that's how they deal with everything. At least they are attempting to deal with, with to deal with the drought in some fashion. In Bastion, it's all just keep going. Eventually, this will all be worked out. This will all be fine eventually. We'll just keep doing what we're doing. That So, yes, that is absolutely true. If you, as a, as a player, if you feel like that's, that's moronic, why are they doing this? It is moronic. And they're doing it because they simply can't conceive that they are in a true immediate crisis that must be dealt with right now. Yeah, it's nothing. It's, nothing has ever needed to be dealt with right now. It's, it's sort of the whole point of it, right? Like if you feel that strongly that it's that it's, you know, unintelligent choices that they're making, that's kind of the point. 
it's it's sort of the motivation to fix things from your perspective as a player uh and then your player as a player character yeah there, that means it's doing its job and there's a lot of other stuff we could go into but also at the end of the day that's sort of the the theme for at least this portion of Shadowlands is we're we have been making terrible decisions and even with like the stuff with Jaina and Thrall and all that we've been making terrible decisions maybe it's time we start making better ones and yeah maybe a little jarring but kind of stick with it and see where the story goes because as the expansion goes on some of that will get way more context and will make more sense as we start unveiling more things and doing more things. And and that's the other thing that I would really encourage people to do is is keep in mind that we are still at the beginning of this expansion. It just started a couple months ago. And while that may seem like a lot of time to some folks, in the scheme of a MMO that runs year and a half, two years uh, between expansions, two months is not really a whole, whole heck of a lot. Of so bear with it. And keep in mind that, yes, you're supposed to think that these things are stupid, and that's why your character's fixing them. Uh, I think we can move on to the next one there, which is, Greetings, Watchers. I have a question of speculation for you. When we are all finished with Shadowland, do you believe our final task might be close to, uh, might be to close the breach above Ice Crown, leaving a pathway for mortals to cross into the realm of the dead? Does not seem like a good idea. However, the writer in me laments the loss of future stories related to the Shadowlands if the is closed. Obviously, we won't know until it's done, but I thought I'd ask your opinions on it. And this is from Lord Soth. Um, I don't know that, that that's something that I don't think I've really given a lot, whole lot of thought on. Of what do we do with this giant rift uh, or or thinness? in the veil between the Shadowlands and us at this point. What do you think, Matt? Um, see, this is one I want to be delicate with. Okay. I think that it is not going to be possible to leave that thing open, because if we leave it open, then we haven't actually done what we set out to do at the beginning of this expansion. Keep in mind that we, we originally go into the Shadowlands, yes, to get our people out, but also to prevent whatever the heck is happening. That is clearly bad because we just, the entire pre expansion event was literally just things from the Maw walking back into Ice Crown and summoning back things we'd already killed. So if we don't close it, it's a lot easier for horrible things to happen. Basically, World of Warcraft kind of has a resolution problem mm -hmm. the past few expansions. Uh, Warlords of Draenor sort of resolved itself to a degree, although obviously something carried forward that then sparked off Legion. The end of Legion didn't resolve itself at all. Giant sword stuck in the planet, didn't get resolved. Goes into the next expansion, Battle for Azeroth. Doesn't get resolved there either. Now, it could just be a permanent thing now that is part of the world, and that's fine, but you've got to eventually resolve some stuff. That, that whole bit in Legion, the end of Legion did not resolve. And no. has not resolved yet. Meanwhile, the end of Battle for Azeroth, sure, it resolved. We, we dealt with Nazoth, but stuff like the burning of Teldrassil and the destruction of, of uh, Undercity, no resolution for either of those. Yeah, even even weird. the conflict between the, the factions, while it's in a, a weird, weird place, uh, hasn't really fully been resolved yet either. Let me put it this way. Where do the Forsaken, well, they're not living, but where do they go now? Do they just have to stay in Orgrimmar's sewers all day? What what are they doing? Like, where are they? Where are where is the place the Forsaken can rest? Because they do rest. Where can they do that? Where is home for them? Do they have one? I could not tell you. Till Til Drossel got burned down. The Night Elves are now kind of up on Hyjal, doing what? Like, wh are they building a new place to live? Is there going to be like at some point? Are we going to get a new starting zone for the Forsaken and Night Elves? Because they don't have one anymore. If you start a brand new level 20 and you you don't want to go in and do the Exiles Rest thing because you've already done it, like, you know, a brand new level one, sorry, and you've already done Exiles Rest once and felt like that was enough and you don't want to do it again, where does your Night Elf go? Where where mm -hmm. do you start? Do you start on Darnassus, which you know isn't there anymore? Do you start on Teldrassil? Like, and if you're Forsaken, same deal. And it hasn't been resolved. Now, should it be resolved? I kind of think so, yeah. But... Regardless, if we get to the end of Shadowlands and we don't resolve the giant hole over... Sh that's three expansions in a row where major league plot elements that are thematically tied to the expansion they're in have not been resolved. It's one thing, the end of Legion thing going on into Battle of Azeroth made sense because that was the plot of Battle for Azeroth, was that the, the wounding of the planet caused the Azerite to come up and we're fighting over that. That made sense. 
But at the same time, we're now three expansions in and we still have not fixed that or even really dealt with it. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, like this major thing that was part and parcel of Battle for Azeroth that, that kicked off Battle for Azeroth, the destruction of Tetherossal and the destruction of Undercity hasn't been resolved and we're now in a second expansion. And this expansion has nothing to do with that. I mean, it comes up from time to time, but it's not yeah, the thematic root of Shadowlands. It, 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 that, that bothers me a little bit, but like... I, I could talk for a whole hour about how I'm still mad that Azerite is taken care of, but you're you're on a very good you're making a very good point where I think that I agree that we have a resolution problem and have had I think maybe longer than the last few expansions. I think Warlords might be the one that buttoned it up the neatest in a very long time because well, you can argue that Mr. Pandaria did in fact resolve things. It just didn't do a very good job of showing it to you. Yeah, maybe. But, but they there was that quest at the very end of the uh, raid where you go and you 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 give a acorn to the emperor Shaohao's spirit, and he's like, "Yes, the tree will be rebuilt, and the world, you know, the, the Pandaria will recover." That sort of tied everything up, but it was very much a blink and you missed it sort of thing. Yeah, uh, but at least it was done. Cataclysm. Yeah, we we killed Deathring, but we didn't do anything about them old gods, and that came back to bite us. Yep. And it's off, you know, and. I, to a degree, I understand that temptation. You want to leave stuff for future expansions. Sure, but I mean, you have to pick what gets resolved, and there's some things that feel like really big outstanding things. There's a question we'll get to later that I think dives a little bit more into the Night Elf stuff, but like that is something I feel at a very, a very visceral level because with the Forsaken and the Night Elves, their starting experiences are, are, are something that needs to be looked at again because a part of their resolution rests in that I feel, but to, to get back to the meat of the question, I, there needs to be some form of resolution leaving, leaving the pathway open isn't an answer that doesn't necessarily mean that the answer is we have to close it completely. And there might be a way to kind of leave it open enough to do more stuff with, but take care of the breach in such a way that, uh, you know, the, the larger threat is is resolved and we no longer allow those bad things to come through and just randomly start summoning things. It almost reminds me a lot of like, um, I know we reference D&D a lot, but it reminds me a lot of stuff that used to happen during like Planescape and uh, a lot of the portal stuff that was written into Forgotten Realms all those all those years ago where, you know, portals were created to solidify stabilized rifts that couldn't be closed it was just a thing that happened spelljammer had them too uh they were things that because these tears in space time uh or breaches between planes of existence couldn't be safely closed because too much damage was done instead they stabilized them so that they could use them and monitor them it's also a classic sci-fi trope for a reason with various wormholes and gates and things like that I could totally see them trying to do something along those lines as well, especially depending on where the expansion wants to go from here. Because this is the big the the big question really is what do we do after we defeat the jailer? It's going to happen in some capacity. That's that's not speculation. It he's the big bad. They've they've said it as much we're going to fight him and I don't really think the big bad's ever going to really truly win. Uh but once we defeat him what comes next? Is there more adventure to be had in the Shadowlands? Maybe. We talk about the idea that the Shadowlands is larger, more vast, and different than we anticipated. And I think that that's partially true. And I think that it could lead to more adventures later on. And I was often wondering to myself, what happens if we get a way to travel through, you know, essentially space that doesn't involve an Exodar-type ship? What if we go to other worlds or other planes of existence that exists elsewhere, and we do it through magical means that maybe cross through the Shadowlands. Maybe something like that comes from this, or maybe it allows us to explore better uh, even our own planet because we can now travel through the Shadowlands. There's ways that they could resolve this in a beneficial way that answer or solve that problem of you know, keeping the big things from coming through and destroying even more stuff, but also giving us the ability to have future stories related to the Shadowlands. Uh, I mean, 
keep in mind, we know that in some capacity, the Emerald Dream touches it in, in some way. There are other things that we can go to that definitely touch it. So why not? Why not explore that? Why not explore that as a, a way for us to have our cake and eat it too a little bit? Because you can have resolution without without complete shutdown. And it's just a matter of doing it in a way that allows you to solve a problem while opening up opportunities. At least that's my opinion on it. And it's something I kind of hope they do because I really do like the idea of the Shadowlands as this vast like expanse that touches everything in in creation in some manner uh, and being able to explore that more or to use that for other stories for different places or different races or, or you know, future endeavors. It kind of it interests me. It kind of becomes what the Twisty Nether should have been. And I'm kind of on board with that but anything else to add to that one matt no i think we pretty much covered my opinion in the earlier rant (laughs) (laughs) all right our next one comes from memeth who is a fresh patreon supporter thank you very much uh since time does not flow the same in the shadowlands what if the drust that escaped from ardenweld are the forsaken that came back the reason some of the restructure resurrected fail or don't work is because there was no drust to fill the body. To top it off, the body's memories blocks the soul's memories, so therefore they can't remember? Question mark? Uh, that's an interesting theory, but I don't know that that's necessarily possible. case. What do you think, Matt? I mean, it feels like the kind of thing that someone comes up with because it's a cool, ooh, I hadn't thought of that moment, but it doesn't have a lot of narrative weight. Like, if they, if they decide that, then it's a retcon because there's no way that that's what they originally intended for it. Mm. And it also doesn't kind of work with the idea of people who, while they're, they're mindless undead who slowly remember who they were, because why would that, why would the body's memories block the soul's memories? Like, what's your motive? What's your reasoning for that? Like, why is it, if anything, it feels like the soul's memories are what are, what's driving those bodies. Uh, if you look at before the storm, uh, you see, you see a lot of the, the forsaken have these memories of their past lives and have feelings about those people. Those feelings are deadened by their bodies, but they exist. So I don't know. I mean, I can't tell you it's not the case. Uh, I just don't think it is because if it, it's one of the situations where if that's what they were doing, I think they would stop doing it because it's not what they want. You know what I mean? That they don't want to be, rotting husks of dead humans who don't remember being them. The whole goal of going through that portal was to rejoin the cycle of reincarnation. Yeah. I think there's also the kind of like the, the elephant in the room on that one is we know that forsaken, at least now involve the use of a Valkyr, right? That's part of the resurrection cycle and the new character creation. It has been since Um, it sort of doesn't make sense then that the Drust would want to take Arden. And that's sort of like the big story. They want the Grove of Rebirth. They want the ability to send their dead souls back to uh, Azeroth through the mechanism of rebirth in the Shadowlands. If they already had something that was allowing them to do that, even in uh, a half capacity, why wouldn't they just try to co-opt that process instead? And, And that's sort of like, that's the sticking point, right? Like, I understand... Uh, there, there's, you could try to make an argument in some capacity that there might be some crossover with that, but also we haven't really seen, I don't know that there, there's that many drust that exist that can definitely, that would constitute the amount of forsaken that have resurrected since this game started. And I think it also takes away a bit from their story. If that's the case forsaken right now are in a weird, complicated space, right? There and they have been since before the storm when some of them want to get back to their lives. They remember who they are. They have feelings. They have that emotion, even if it's slightly dulled from when they were alive. They have hopes and dreams and desires. I can't remember his name now, but the the royal archivist that just wanted to see his children wanted to wanted to see his kids that he, you know, used everything in his power to get them out before Lordaeron fell, you know, and, and then that takes away from that that takes away from sort of the complexity of their story if instead they're all just drust that forget who that forget they were drust no i also think it takes away from the drust and it takes away from the villainy of what they're trying to do if that becomes the case as well because the drust are fascinating they are druids 
that, you know, definitely latched onto that whole death cycle and death magic to circumvent the natural order of things. And they've been paying for that ever since. And there's a big divide. There's a big cultural impact on how that happened with Kaltirans. Uh, there's a big cultural impact on how that uh, affected the Kaltiran relationship with Druidism and, and the whole Thornspeaker thing to begin with. Because if you, in Battle for Azeroth, I think this is accurate, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but the Thornspeakers really, I think canonically, weren't a thing anymore until player characters started getting involved. And There was one left alive. Yeah. And even he, we're not entirely sure he's alive. Like it's, he's, you don't see him in anything but his, his bear form. And you know, his bear form is like a twisted dead thing. It's a wicker man almost. Yeah. It's a wicker bear essentially like skulls and tree roots and, you know, so he might be dead, but they're the, the thorn speakers had a relationship with death entirely different than the drusts. And you get that like you you get that when you go to Ardenweald and there's a Thornspeaker that you have join your cause, mm-hmm. um, and she's the she's a dead Thornspeaker. Her spirit form is her Thornspeaker cat form, and she's you know her relationship with death is much closer to the Ardenweald one, and that's kind of the way the Thornspeakers were. They understood that death was part of life; it was part of the cycle. You you live, you die, and death feeds life. Life feeds death. The, there's a cyclical nature that they were they were all about. In some ways, the Thorn Speakers were closer to like the the bigger picture that we're getting than some of the current Druid groups, like the Scenarian Circle. But at any rate, it was like one guy, and he started teaching Colterans after he realized, no, we can't. Like the the Thorn Speakers as an order turned against the Drust. They did. Yeah. They're like, what what you're doing is wrong, and they paid the price of basically being wiped out. There's like one or two of them left, and they're teaching. Uh, the current druids coming out of Colteris are being taught by them, but they're not them. Yeah, and I, and I think I think these all being distinct stories and distinct people enriches their stories. All of them, uh, the Forsaken, the Drust, and the Colterans. And I think it's important that there's not. Again, it's not my story, but if it was, those would remain separate things. Like, I can't predict where they're going to go with it. There could be some crossover. Sure, whatever. I'll, I'll leave that as a possibility. But in this particular instance, I think each of them having sort of their own distinct lives and deaths, their own distinct relationship with death, because that's a huge thing with all of them, um, you know, and then having their own distinct afterlives or or real life whatever you want to call what forsaken have looking at all that together having them be their own entities makes the most sense and makes the more compelling story so yeah maybe there's a, a, a potential that maybe a drust or two came back as forsaken but i think it's really unlike uh and i don't think that there's anything that bodies block them the souls memory. because if that was the case then forsaken would never remember who they were and that again that would cheapen uh, or, or take away from, make them less than uh, anything more interesting than just being reanimated corpses. So um, our next question comes from Matt Damon or Demon. A uh, question for Lorewatch. I was in Torghast, had to rescue a Kyrian who wanted me to find a stone that stored his memories. But as a player who picked Kyrian, I don't remember any reference to the blue people storing their memories in stone like the Venthyr keep their sins. That's interesting. Uh, I think you've there's played- those chime they, they they do store their souls. You go to those mirrors, they have an archive of them even. They store all their yeah. memories. They absolutely do. Um I don't know why there's a stone. That's that's new to me. But they do store their memories. They have a whole archive of them. They can go back and look at the memories anytime they need to to know something. That to me shows that there's some awareness that forgetting is not a, a net positive. So that, that keys back to the earlier thing about the Kyrian. The Kyrian as an organization desperately ideologically want to purge all memory, but at the same time, somewhere in there is an awareness that if you just throw it out, you know, how are we going to know about this threat in time to stop it? So, yeah, they, they do definitely do that. They do store their memories, usually in those mirror archives. Yeah, I don't gonna, know what the Stone Deal is. I was going to say the mirrors are really the thing, but that also... It begs into question why mirrors or if it's any polished surface or or sufficiently anima infused surface could do like I I think that might be a fascinating thing to explore. Is there a reason that this one happens to be in a stone? Is it because this is a polished stone? Because we know in 
real world culture, polished glass like stone were things of not just like beauty, but also reverence. Uh, there are cultures that had strong beliefs that things like obsidian and volcanic glass, you know, were uh, gave them the ability to see uh, whether prophetic visions or into the past to commune with ancestral spirits. Uh, so having something like that here would not be necessarily out of place. It's just never mentioned. We also don't really know what the mirrors are made of either. We, they, they call them mirrors, but I mean, when you go up to them, they're not reflecting you. Uh, you can stand in front of them. They don't really reflect anything until anima starts coursing through them. And then it shows whatever the vision is. And I think at the top of those mirrors, and, and it's been a bit since I've done anything in uh, Bastion revolving around that, but there, I know there is a almost like a gemstone type thing set at the very top of them that it seems like anima flows into. Uh, so it is possible that maybe it's not the pain that does it, but that stone at the top, and maybe this is a reference to that. I mean, possible, but I don't know. I don't know. If, uh, anything else to add to that one, Matt? No, I think it's generally the case that we know that they do store their memories, but we don't know what the deal is with the rock. Yep. It could be, maybe it's a shard of mirror. I don't know. All right. Our next question comes from Tetsemi. Uh, question for Lorewatch. While recovering the Medallion of Envy during the Venthyr campaign, Vince Renathel finds out his medallion was given to the, a lich, Kel'Thuzad. During the conversation with Draka, she asks him, Kel'Thuzad's manipulations have plunged Maldraxxus into chaos. What will your Covenant's medallion, Dominion, uh, allow him to do? He responds, he could levy an army of unwilling denizens of Revendreth. With enough anima, he might be able to manipulate the very fabric of the Shadowland. Uh, interesting note on the marker in the Covenant Hall about this. The last line reads, no lich should hold dominion over anything not of Maldraxxus. Could this be a clue about what happened to the Maw? What if that medallion alone is that powerful as speculated? Why would Denathrius not keep that one for himself? Uh, also found on the same note, but they, the medallions, are also the carriers of the master's will. What they do, he knows. So that may explain it. Wondering how much of this, uh, how much of his will he can channel through them. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that it's something that Denathrius could actually exert will through? I think it's almost almost inevitable that we'll find out that yes, Denathrius. That these things are pieces of Denathrius. Which would make sense. Which is why yeah. him sitting inside of a sword prison doesn't really make much of a difference, right? Yeah, he's going to get out. Um, for that matter, uh, the reason he didn't hold on to it is because it's him. It's his power. It's it's ultimately serving the purposes to which he puts it. If it doesn't, he won't let it do anything. Uh, as long as Kael'thuzad is doing you know the right bidding, then it'll work fine. Uh, it reminds me a bit of the Helm of Domination, for that matter. Uh, the concept is fairly similar. Dominion versus Domination. Uh so I would I would be willing to look at you know exactly when and where he made those medall those medallions and and how he got the ability to do so. Uh, I, it's also interesting that he says he could levy an, an army of unwilling denizens of Revendreth. So it just works on things of, from Revendreth, the, the the various Venthyr and other things that were like came to Revendreth and became part of it. That's still interesting. Uh, you do it is interesting that you know they're supposed to like the the liches are supposed to be limited to Maldraxxus in this way. And there's this thing that allows you to control things of Revendreth. It it feels a little interesting. Like, can can they be eventually be used to dominate? He says that it could be used to manipulate the very fabric of the Shadowlands. We know that uh, Denathrius is an expert on anima. Uh, that's why we originally go to Revendreth is to enlist his help uh, to stop the Maw from getting any more anima. Not the other way around. It, just because he went and fed his anima to to the maw doesn't mean that's what we didn't go there for that we were trying to stop it mm -hmm. so that interests me this idea that enough anima can manipulate the very fabric of the shadowlands and that at least the the medallions give one the ability to do so why i think how so my my operating theory on that is it has something to do with the fact that what you said like this is part of denathrius and that i think the firstborn uh, I think the the pantheon of, of death or whatever we want to call them, I think that there's something to how their realms are shaped based off of who they are. And I, th I, I made a, a statement a while ago that they are probably more linked to the shape and process of their zone than even they possibly is. And 
that's going back to like the Ardenweld stuff and with the Winter Queen and, and the whole story of one day she just showed up. She didn't know where her garden came from. She just knew that it was something that she was supposed to, to tend to. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing. It's obviously there's more to it than that. But it also seems like she thematically, aesthetically fits that zone. And yeah, you could say that it's a design thing, but I think it's more than that. She's very arboreal in appearance. She's very uh, cycle of lifey in appearance. And that zone, that's sort of the theme. Then you look at Bastion, where, you know, Kyrostia is harsh, but also ethereal, who is uh, sort of like floaty and, and light and imposing. And you look at the zone, and the zone is... You mentioned that it was it's sort of like a dystopia. Yeah, it is, but it's a beautiful dystopia. It's equal parts awe-inspiring, but also equal parts humbling and terrifying. There are things of incredible beauty there, but there are also things that will just eat. Uh, go, back, go back to uh, Denathrius for a second. Yeah, so let's go back to the Denathrius. Think, think about what, when, he's, when he is fighting you, when he's fighting uh, Revendra, uh, Prince Renathal, he flat out says, I am, you know, yep. Revendreth. Yep. And I don't think he's being... It's not like when a human does it, and they're, they're like, you know, I am, you know, the, the, the state is me, l'estat is moi. No, this is not that kind of, this is not overstatement. It's not, you know, hyperbole for effect. He literally means it. Yeah, I, I the, think that's Revendreth, accurate. Revendreth is him. Uh, it, it comes from him. It flows from him. He controls the anima there. He controls what the realm is and isn't. He even controls the forms that his petitioners eventually take. You mentioned before that we talk about D&D a lot, but I honestly think that there's a lot of Ravenloft influence here, and I oh, really yeah. think that it's very similar to like the Demiplanes of Dread, where each one has a lord, and that lord controls it. I, I think that's accurate, and that's kind of where I was going with it, is I think, I think even if it's subconscious, I think that these entities shape their worlds, and I, I think that's why... Maldraxxus feels like it's even in a further state of departure or decay because the Primus isn't there anymore. The Primus isn't there to shape it, which is why, like, yes, it's always a realm of death, but something that's been bothering me about it is that it it's not just a realm of death, it's a realm uh, of disarray now with all of the ruins that are there. Because even when you go to, like, the most populous of areas, there's still its construction, its order, it's rigid, There's there's a process to it. And without the Primus there, it feels like it's starting to fall apart. And I think that is deliberate. And I think the same thing with this, with like Denathrius. I think that as either his mental state has started to decay uh, or whatever his subdivision is, as far as how, who he is as an entity, I think that's reflected in the realm and how you have a large section of that realm that is crumbling and uh, nonsensical, right? Um the other thing that I thought was interesting is like all of the realms seem fairly solid uh, aside from Bastion, which is why I was going with the ethereal thing. Like it's a connection of like what looks like islands almost. You can fall off that map into the abyss really easily. Uh, that seems to fit sort of with Kyrestria and her, her personality. But I think that's maybe it. Liches are, are not exactly slouches in the magical department. And Kel'Thuzad is not exactly a weak wizard. Uh, he's pretty dang well practiced. He was, uh, you know, Kieran Tor level. As he, far was the, he was on the Council of Six for a while there. Yes, he was. Until he got himself kicked off. And you don't get on the Council of Six by being like a hedge mage, right? Like, you are powerful. You understand magic. Your research is solid. There is a reason for it. And you learned a little bit about that if you do, like, the, the Mage Order Hall stuff in Legion, uh, where it talks about the Archmages that have come before, uh, how they were able to shape reality through arcane powers, uh, and, and things like that. There's something to that here. So now, if you are that accomplished of a wizard in life and become that much of a... Uh, you know, Billy Bad Blank, uh, a lich, and let's let's be honest, Kel'Thuzad was pretty dang powerful as a lich. Now you're in an area where if you get access to a piece of a being that can literally control the shape of reality in its little domain, I think that's more dangerous than even Denathrius thought of. I think giving it to Kel'Thuzad was probably one of the worst decisions he ever made. It might not even have been his decision. He might have been told to do it. But that just seems like a recipe for uh, domination and disaster. 
because I can totally see Kel'Thuzad using that to take Dominion over Denathrius and then start shaping Revendreth. And then by extension, learning how that works. Because again, wizard, uh, scientific mind when it comes to, to Arcane, deconstructing that process and then applying it to the rest of the Shadowlands. Imagine every realm being able to be manipulated because now he learns how that works. That is, it's an incredibly dangerous thing. And one, again, we talk about no resolution. We haven't dealt with him yet. We haven't dealt with, with Kalthazad even in the slightest, I don't believe. I don't even think there's anything in Maldraxxus that deals with him quite yet. Uh, I mean, he's involved in a couple of campaigns, but yeah, he's still out there. Yeah, so I think this is going to bubble up, and I think this is going to be a dangerous escalation. That's just sort of my two cents on it, because Kalthazad, with anything that more that powerful, scares me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that could also be part of what the intention is with the Maw stuff. Uh, it could have been part of the gambit of the Jailer, too, because if Kalthazad can learn how to manipulate Anima, he might be able to break open the Maw. Because, again, it's a realm likely tied to an individual that I, I don't know the level of, of uh, comfort with uh, manipulation that individual has in their own realms, but I could see them burrowing through with the help of Kalthazad, uh, greater Shadowlands, and that just is scary. I don't think it's an army of denizens we have to worry about. I think it's I think it's going to be whether or not Kalthazad figures out how to open up a, a portal or a punch his way through. That's my two cents. Anything else to add to that one before we move on to the last question? No. All right. Our last question deals with Night Elves. Uh, this is from Talvi. Uh, for Lorewatch, hello. I hope you're well. Uh, as a Night Elf mage, I'm very interested in the lore behind the acceptance of the Highborn to the Alliance. Obviously, the Shandralar rep was removed for the introduction of the Cataclysm due to that particular cast being used to train the new Night Elf mages inside Diarmal. Uh, I'm sorry. Inside Diarmal, there are now Darnassus banners uh, aloft amongst the ruins to show their their now allegiance. So my question is this. If Shandralar are so revered among the Night Elves of Darnassus, why can't the members of the Alliance still gain Shandralar rep? Uh, the Blanket removal in game didn't make much sense to me. Uh, thanks a lot for all your time. As well. The Chandralar are gone. Yeah, they're no longer a thing. Yeah, they were absorbed into the the Night Elves. Uh, they're considered like if you're a, if you are used to be Chandralar, then you're now a mage working for the Night Elves. You're considered like a highborn inside the Night Elves. But the Chandralar, that's the organization that the prince was part of, and the organization that you were grinding rep with were the survivors who were like, the prince is kind of nuts, help us. That's all done. Uh, the ones that were going to leave left, uh, that organization is now just Prince Dortheldren. And up front, I think Dortheldren's canonically dead. Yeah, he is. Canonically, he is dead. So, yeah, he's dead. There's no Chandralar anymore. Um, that's why you can't grind rep with them, because they're gone. In much the same way that you can't grind Zandalar rep anymore for doing uh, Zul'Gurub. Uh, I, I actually, I'm hero of Zandalar on my human. Because uh, I got to exalt it with those jerks back in 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 classic, back in original, I should say, uh, doing Zulgarub, and uh, my human is a hero of the Zandalar, and they're like, "Yeah, we like you." And then, then we go to war. Yeah, they don't like me so much anymore, because <laughs> <laughs> mostly because I I used to take my soul my sword Trokalar and go to places where I knew they were and make them run around in terror. That's hilarious. That's that is some fun stuff. Uh, but yes, regardless, yeah, no, that that's that's all done. Yeah, there's no there's no Chandralar for you to grind rep with. That's why you can't grind rep with them. Yeah, and I think that's really the short version of it is that they they, they just don't exist anymore. Um, but I was talking with Talvi a little bit after this question came in, and there was another question that spawned from it, uh, which I will ask here as sort of a supplemental one, which is now that Darnassus canonically is burned, there is technically no starting area for new night elves that want to go into, uh, you know, whatever the uh, role is that they take inside of society and yes we have the exiles reach and all that stuff but canonically we don't have a racial starting zone anymore for them and we know that the night elves have moved to hyjal that's where they're held up now how do we think that that could move forward to sort of give them a semblance of i don't want to say normalcy but a, a sort of return to that route right like is there a way that we can do that that doesn't really alter that starting experience or, or does alter it in a point that makes sense. Well, I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about for a long time is this Darnassus and Teldrassil was a 15 year aberration. Mm -hmm. If you look at the pre previous 10,000 years, 
The Night Elves did not have a centralized location. Hyjal was the closest they had to one, and it wasn't, they didn't all live there. It wasn't a capital city. It was just an important place to them. Um, they had other places. In fact, throughout uh, Kalimdor, several of which have been taken by the Horde since, but there's places throughout Kalimdor, um, Ashenvale, Darkshore, Feralos, uh, uh, Desolus. Desolus. Yeah, Desolus. All places that the Night Elves had had locations. Um, you can go see, like, if you go to Desolus, Nigel's Point is built right next. There's, like, literally Night Elf buildings. It's built in Night Elf buildings. Um, there's That's all over going up and down uh, Kalimdor. Uh, Thousand Needles, there's a, there's a Night Elf encampment right on the edge of it that's still there. Um, it's being attacked by the uh, Grim Totem as of Cataclysm. Obviously, it's been a long time. But there were there were night elf built there were night elf settlements all over the place up and down Kalimdor and I think decentralizing would make sense being centralized into like one location like they were gave the horde a really good place to attack their previous ten thousand years of decentralization not nomadic they weren't nomads they were decentralized they had they had little settlements all over the place so. If you wanted to like destroy the night elves, you could start burning little villages, and you'd, you'd get a few. But then the night elves would react. That's what happened in the war against the Karaji. Um, they started seeing the Karaji come up, and they they mobilized and they came together. But they don't spend all their time in one place. I think that would make sense. Like Hyjal goes back to being the most important place for night elves. It's where you go to, like, for lack of a better word. Since you're playing, a, yeah, when you're playing a new night elf, you're basically playing somebody, you know, stepping forth and into their role in society. They would go to Hyjal for that. That makes sense. And then and it, through decentralization, you get your posts somewhere else, which would make sense. Yeah. You go where you go and explore. You go and do other things. You don't stay in one place. I, I would feel like it would make sense from a night elf perspective to, to view Teldrassil and Darnassus as proof that it didn't work. That, that having one big central location, which they did partially because uh, a, f a failed druid told them they should do it. You know, it was a Fandral Staghelm. Druid. <laughs> yeah, Fandral Staghelm was the one who said they should do that. And that whole time he was being influenced by an old god and th that old god's follower, uh, Xavius. And the tree was corrupted for most of its existence. It wasn't cleansed until the Dragonflight finally came together and two out of three of them finally renewed their blessing on it. Um the third one being uh, Nosdormo, who did not. But that's the only one. They even cl they only cleansed the tree fairly recently. So just from the beginning, that tree wasn't supposed to be there. They've got a new world. They've got the original world tree back now. It's regrown again. There, there's they made an attempt based on Fandral's idea that you know world trees solve everything. That's always been Fandral's go-to. When in doubt, plant another world tree. It has not worked yet. Fandral didn't. It didn't work up in uh, Northrend either. It didn't work when they started planting like little trees in uh, on top of uh, old god corruption throughout the Eastern Kingdoms. Like all those places where we saw and more dragons. That was because Fandral was planting trees. Fandral's tree planting exercise is at an end. Fandral is no longer a member of the Night Elves. He's he's like a dead servant of an of a of a fire elemental who was himself a servant of an old god. I think they're going to be like, okay, we've, we've, we've tried this. It didn't work. And it would make sense to go back to uh, the previous, the mode of life that worked for 10,000 years. Yeah. You know, there, there's something to that. I think, and I keep going back to like Warcraft three and when night elves were introduced as like a playable faction, they were basically coming out of the woods, right? They were coming together for the first time in a very long time. And even part of that story in the campaign was you going to find other uh, packets of them, basically, and get them to join you so that you could then have a larger army to go forth and defend Azeroth. Uh, and I think there's something to that. I think having sort of like that return to form would make perfect sense. We've already seen some of that with like the Night Warrior stuff. The Night Warrior is an ancient ritual. It wasn't something that they just thought of on the spot. Uh, it was something from their past. It were they're starting to learn that 
maybe being involved with the alliance and their politics isn't going to be helpful for us. Maybe we should take a step back and worry about ourselves. Maybe we should decentralize. Maybe we should go back to the shadows uh, and have smaller, more mobile, more versatile uh, population centers that can strike back with guerrilla warfare because that was sort of the story of them uh, throughout that 10,000 years is that like you come across their territory, you basically got murked. You, you, the, the trees came alive, uh, the shadows formed into these entities, took down whatever encroached upon their territory, and then melded back into the shadows as if they never existed. That was yeah, like the biggest flaw that the night elves have had in the past 15 to 20 years is having a place where their enemies knew to go at them. Yep. Um, and it's happened in Ashenvale. Uh, happened in Cataclysm. When the Night Elves have established locations, that's where the Horde just comes in overwhelming force and burns it down. And because the Night Elves aren't genocidal, they've had two opportunities to, to pay the, the the Horde back, and they haven't taken them. I mean, like, even, even... When they were in, in Orgrimmar, and they came in force to Orgrimmar the during the siege, they don't just keep killing once the fight's over. And they could... They, but but Toronto went along with the idea to just leave. And then now at the end of this expansion, you know, to, again, they, they have backed off, even though they had no real reason to. And it's obvious Toronto is so occupied with, with Sylvanas. But when that's over, I expect the Night Elves are going to be hostile to the Horde for a very long time. And I think they should be. But it also makes sense even just beyond the Horde. We've seen so many crazy big threats happen to Azeroth beyond the Legion and now with the Breach in the Shadowlands being open, plus we don't know what else is out there, that it just makes sense to that they would want to be as safe as possible. You know, they would want to have their people spread out so that they couldn't have that much destruction and horror visited upon their people yeah, like, again. Basically, you don't want to have a situation where somebody can just, you know, throw you some fire catapults and take out your whole, like, a big population center. You know, that's that's what other races do. It's not a night elf thing. The night elves, in a way, in a way it was kind of going back to the way they were 10,000 years ago when they mm -hmm. had huge cities and they had, you know, so... I think that there's an, a way for it to work where you basically just have Hygel as the cultural center, but you don't have a population center because it doesn't work for you. It's not it's not effective. Yeah, and I think I agree with that. So who knows what's going to happen with that, but I think that this is one of those instances where I think going back to one of the original statements Matt made at the beginning of this podcast today is this should be part of the resolution. There should be something that comes from the Night Elf story when it resolves that addresses this uh, because I think it's important. And I think, because I remember the very first time I rolled a Night Elf and went through the intro experience of Darnassus and went through all of that and thinking to myself, this is really, really cool, but also really, really weird because this is not what I thought I was getting into after Warcraft 3. And having something that maybe addresses that and says, yeah, this didn't work. We're going to go back to being ghosts of the forest. Uh, and yes, we'll have places where we can meet and maybe our military will have like places that they have strongholds or whatever. That's fine. But women, children, old people, our artisans, stuff like that, non-combatants. Yeah, they're going to go hide now. They're going to go be in decentralized uh, I'm locations. sorry, dude. You meant men, children. You know what artists. I meant. Yes, sorry. The women, the women are. The way, it's a matriarchal under. society, yes. That's also something I would like to see more of. I would like to see them possibly even be a backlash to the idea that, you know, everybody should be able to do everything. Maybe they're going to be like, no, we, we lost our way. And you'd see some back and forth on the concept of a gendered society where the gender that dominates is, is women, you know, actually work on that a little bit. But uh, I mean, we don't really have time or I would start going on about what I think the, the, the uh, Forsaken need as well, because the Forsaken also need something. You know, maybe maybe that will be our next episode. Maybe we'll go through and do a whole Forsaken slash Night Elf. Hop I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Let us know. Uh, but definitely think the Forsaken need to be talked about. We definitely need to talk about them at some pro probably very soon. But Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Also, again, just as a reminder, uh, if you are not a Patreon subscriber, please consider doing so. 
It gives you early access to the podcast, like we said, an ad-free site experience, uh, quicker access to Matt and myself for podcast questions who you want to ask them, since we have a separate channel set aside specifically for Patreon supporters, uh, and it does allow us to continue making this this content that hopefully you enjoy. Uh, and we yeah, are even if you can give us just like one buck a month, it helps. And if like a hundred people give us one buck a month, that's an extra hundred bucks we can put into doing more content like this. Yep. Or continuing to do the content that we are already doing. Um, because again, that level of support is what allows us to do what we're doing today. Um, and also, I mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, but if you are interested in some sweet Blizzard Watch merchandise, we are celebrating our sixth anniversary, which just passed. Um, but on our website, from now until February 21st, there is a link uh, and a description. Uh, a post uh, detailing all of the cool uh, Phoenix merchandise that you can get uh, from Blizzard Watch, whether it's mugs, T-shirts, hoodies, a whole bunch of stuff. And it's all of our anniversary uh, art that we've had since day one. Uh, so if you want some of that sweet, sweet merchandise, uh, you want to be warm. The hoodies are really nice. I have one. I like them a lot. Uh, or if you just want to have us a little warm cup of coffee or, or, or hot beverage in a mug while you listen to us on the podcast and have a nice little Blizzard Watch logo on it, uh, now is your time to do so. And doing so does support us as well. Uh, so thank you very much, everybody, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>